This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And I am joined by a very special guest, somebody who is one of my absolute favorites as far as the draft goes, because his film breakdowns are among the best that you're going to find anywhere. And everybody knows how picky I am, because we have one of the best there is out there in Joe Blewett working for us to turn on the Jets. But this guy is right on Joe Blewett's level. In fact, don't tell Joe I said this, but he might actually be better than Joe because of how great he is at explaining the little nuances in these videos about certain prospects and really getting to the nitty gritty of them. He's a draft and film analyst over at SB Nation, and he's also got his own YouTube channel where you can check out his videos, not just on the draft, but on a bunch of other things too, including fantasy football and everything that goes on throughout the season. He had a really cool video on Sam Darnold after a preseason start last year that if you haven't checked out yet, I highly recommend. Mr. Brett Coleman. Brett, what's going on, man? Uh, I'm doing good, but I think uh, you just sicked Joe on me there real quick. Uh, (laughs) I'm a little bit worried for my safety now. <laughs> you should be, man. He's a tough dude. He's a police officer in the New Jersey area. So just if you see the sirens, make sure you get out of the way because it could be Joe getting all mad that you stole his thunder a little bit. But honestly, <laughs> all joking aside, you two are two of the best that I've ever seen at breaking this film down. And I've told him about you, and he was impressed too. And let me tell you something. Joe Blewett is very rarely impressed by film breakdowns. And so I wanted to ask you about these specific breakdowns you've done a couple of prospects in fact as we record this you just finished your fifth one and we're going to get into him and that is Dwayne Haskins the quarterback from Ohio State now if you're a Jets fan you may think that that's not relevant to the Jets you're wrong because of what Brett's theory is about Dwayne Haskins and we will get into that a little bit later but let's start with Quinn and Williams everybody that listens to this podcast that follows me on Twitter that reads anything I've written knows I think that Quinn and Williams is not just the best player in this draft it's not just a special player but that he would be at the top of almost any draft that you could ever come up with and I think the thing with Quinn and Williams that's interesting is my evolution on thinking with him at first I was like a lot of people who said, you can't take an interior defensive lineman that high. They've done it so many times. you got to get an edge rusher. They haven't had an edge rusher in forever. And then Joe Blewett said to me, watch Quentin Williams' tape. I said, okay. I sat down. I watched the tape, and I was blown away. I always knew he was an excellent player, but I didn't realize just how good he was until I really watched the tape. And then from there, the more I watched of him and the more I watched of the other prospects, I became more and more and more convinced that he is the absolute best player in this draft class by a large margin in fact at one point I was convinced that the Jets should take Nick Bosa over him despite the difference in talent but I'm at the point now where I just can't deny that Quentin Williams is that much better even than Nick Bosa so if Quentin Williams is available at number three I'm all on board taking him unless they get some sort of insane trade offer and this is where I wanted to turn it over to you Brett before we get into your actual breakdown of Quinn and Williams, I wanted you to take me through your five things that you grade a prospect on as far as getting to the quarterback. And this is for edge rushers and interior defensive linemen who rush the passer. Yeah, you know, there's, I, I call it the five tools of pass rushing, similar like what you see with a baseball player. Uh, you got explosiveness, uh, length, power, uh, technique. Uh, you know, it, it's, there's all these different aspects 
that, that kind of go into it. It's not just, oh, are you fast around the edge? It's not just, can you bull rush? It's not just, do you have good hands or good instincts? Or, you know, it, 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 there's a little bit of everything. And every different rusher um, kind of has their own strengths and weaknesses within all of these tools. And so when you look at, like, Bosa versus Quinnen, you know, Bosa, he's got excellent technique. He's got really good hip flexibility, really good power, but he's not exactly the most explosive guy. So if he's going to win around the edge, it's going to be more with how he uses his hips and his hands to kind of shorten the corner for himself and, and get around the edge. When you look at Quinnen Williams, at least as far as defensive tackles go, I mean, he checks every single tool. And it is extraordinarily rare to find a defense, like to the point where I don't think he actually really has a true weakness. And that's unbelievably rare to find that in a defensive tackle. Like, if I was going to put it this way, uh, you look at all the defensive linemen that have come out of Bama in the last, I don't know, 10 years, you know, the Nick Saban year, even recently with Hand and Allen and, and Payne and uh, Ashawn Robinson. I mean, they, they've just rolled out defensive linemen after defensive linemen. They're all top 50 picks in the NFL. Quinn and Williams is better than all of them, and it's not even close. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Brett, I want to ask you about his pass rushing ability because a lot of people are worried about the Jets' ability to get the opposing quarterback, and what they'll say is, you have to have an edge rusher, that's how you win in this league, you get that edge rusher that can get you those bunch of sacks, and you can't get an interior defensive lineman and hope for those similar results. Quinnen Williams, as far as I can tell, is somebody that can be a special pass rusher from the interior. That's what you seem to think as well, right? Yeah, the, the last guy that I saw that played like this at, at this level in college in terms of just truly dominating every single one-on-one in front of him was Aaron Donald. Uh, and Donald, when when he was coming out, I mocked him at fifth overall to the Raiders in his year, and people thought I was crazy. I compared him to John Randall, a Hall of Famer, one of the best great, one of the best defensive linemen at any position ever, and people thought I was crazy. And now Donald is looking as good or maybe even better than Randall. Uh, and when I look at Quinnen, he's on that level as a prospect, like slam dunk, top three, no doubt about it. When I draft him, I know I'm getting a pro bowler, all pro kind of guy, like 
that is the kind of defensive tackle we're looking here. He's better than Leonard when Leonard was at USC. He's better than Buckner when he was at Oregon. He's better than any of the other Bama guys, like I mentioned before. The only guy that's on this level is Aaron Donald, and that's saying a lot. Brett, I want to ask you about his versatility because that's another thing that people have brought up. They've said they have Henry Anderson, they have Leonard Williams. Where's this guy even going to play? But from your film breakdown, you seem to think that he could be like Joe Klecko, who was an all-time great Jet, where he could play pretty much anywhere on the line in just about any scheme. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? I I made the remark off air. It's like putting a Jet engine on the back of Klecko. Like, yeah, he can do everything, (laughs) but he can do it better. (laughs) <laughs> you know, and it's it's ironically a similar kind of thing to when Donald was in L.A. in his rookie year. I believe Greg Williams was the defensive coordinator that year. They ran a hybrid front. They already had Brockers. They had Robert Quinn. Like, they had a loaded defensive line. Nobody really knew exactly where Donald was going to play in that front. Um, and he didn't even start, like, his first five games. He, he played a little bit of one tech. He played a little bit of three tech. They rushed him off the edge at times when they were giving Quinn a blow. Like, he did a little bit of everything. And I feel like Quinn and Williams is the kind of guy that can do that as well. So as far as where he would fit on the Jets, like, Henry Anderson is not a, a player where I look at him and be like, oh, well, we can't draft Quinn and Williams because we have Henry Anderson. Like, I don't care about that. Like, just put the dude on the field. doesn't matter what position. doesn't matter who else you have on the roster. Just draft him. There were a lot of things that you picked up on in your video that I wanted to touch on. But before we get to all of that, because there's so many questions I have, I want to ask you about Leonard Williams since you just mentioned him. How do you think the two of them would function as a unit together? You know, I think they're both very versatile players. And Leonard, I thought, was you know one of the two best players when he was coming out in his draft class, too. And the only reason why the Jets even got him as sixth overall is because of a shoulder injury he was dealing with. But he's another guy where you could put him at one tech, you could put him at three tech, five tech, didn't really matter. He had the length, he had the power, he had the quickness, he could play whatever position you needed him to. So when I look at how he fits with Quinnen, because they're both so versatile, now I think they kind of become two different chess pieces that can kind of play off of each other. You know, you can shift your fronts like kind of last minute before the snap. So, you know, you start out with maybe Quinnen at the one tech, Leonard at the three, kind of give them maybe an overfront look. They call protections a certain way. They're sliding it in the middle of the cadence. Now you're shifting to an underfront. You screw everything up for them. Like they can cause a lot of havoc because they're, they're so versatile that when you set protections, as soon as you set it, they can move around, still perform at the exact same level, regardless of how they're lined up but cause an infinite amount more problems for offenses because they're sliding maybe in a direction that they don't want to be sliding now. So that, to me, schematically is where he fits because that versatility along with Williams, it opens up so many possibilities. I think it would be really fun to watch. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. There are a lot of Jets fans that have soured on Leonard Williams because he hasn't had the high sack totals and there have been some games where he struggled a little bit. But you think that if you put him with Quinn and Williams, the two of them could be a pretty nasty combination, right? Yeah, I mean, sack total for an interior defensive lineman when he, when he doesn't really have a lot of help. 
you know, it's kind of like, how do you, what do you expect him to do? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> if the, if the center can slide to Leonard on every single snap and they're not scared of anyone else, again, what do you expect him to do? Now you got Quinn in and if you double both of them, now you're probably putting tight ends on an edge rusher, you're putting running backs on an edge rusher, or maybe you're, you're kind of chipping and releasing up the middle with the running back, so that kind of takes away a lot of uh, the, the running back pass game that a lot of teams like to do. So let, let's say you're going up against the Patriots, and you've got two excellent interior defensive linemen, which Tom hates interior pressure, as we all know, if they have to sacrifice James White to help out in protection, if they have to sacrifice whoever their tight end next year is going to be now that Gronk is retired in protection, it takes away that outlet receiver that Tom has relied on to shred defenses underneath for so many years. And that's a really big advantage for the Jets. Um, again, I'm not saying that they're going to go out and completely kill the Patriots offense if they get Quinn and Williams, but it sure as hell is going to help them because schematically he fixes a lot of holes that they have. There are a lot of people that have said Quinn and Williams is up against double and triple teams in college, but can he handle that at the pro level? Is he big enough? Is he strong enough? What do you think? I absolutely. I mean, he's he's a true freak of nature, like one of the most athletic defensive linemen we have in a class full of athletic defensive linemen. Um, you know, I, I keep going back to the Aaron Donald comparison. People said, oh, can Donald, you know, split triple teams the same way he did when he was at Pitt? Like, I, I once saw him tackle the running back during a handoff through a double team at Pitt. It was, oh, he can't do that in the NFL. And then he goes up to Seattle his rookie year and does the exact same thing. Like, grown men are grown men. <laughs> That's just how it is. Like, he's a grown-ass man. And I want to ask you about that because – a lot of the technique is similar. A lot of those moves, beating double and triple teams on a regular basis. Talk to me about Quinnen Williams and what you notice with his technique and what makes him superior in that regard. Just how, how he links his hands to his feet. It's He is so much further along in his development than most college defensive linemen are, especially on the interior where hand technique is way more important than as an edge rusher because everything happens at a much quicker pace, kind of the further towards the center you get. So for him to have such great control in linking his hands to his feet together for a one-year starter is unbelievable to me. Credit to his defensive line coach who they brought over from Mizzou, one of the best defensive line coaches in all of college football. I mean, he definitely got him ready to play, and he is ready to play immediately in the NFL because his hands and his feet, how he kind of works them together, right hand linked to right foot, left hand linked to left foot. Um, like th- there's a lot of defensive tackles that are already in the league that could learn a lot from watching from Quinnen. So it, 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 he is really, really well-developed. I want to ask you about one of the plays that you broke down on your video because this stood out to me showcasing not only Quinton Williams' technique but also his IQ on the football field and his football awareness. It was a play that featured a strong side run and Quinton Williams diagnosed it right away and then ultimately ended up chasing the running back to the sideline. I'm sure you remember the play that I'm talking about. Can you take me through that play and explain exactly why that was so impressive? I mean, in a fraction of a second, he realized... So, again, it kind of goes down to footwork. Um, with the way he uses his feet, he doesn't step forward. He kind of steps a little bit to the side so that he's not shooting upfield immediately. That gives him a little bit more time for him to kind of read and react with the blocking scheme is. So he stepped a little bit to the side on a read step, 
noticed that the guard in front of him was doing a bucket step to go around and pull on a power run. And so if the guard is vacating the space in front of you, you pretty much know that he's pulling to the other side no matter what, especially if he's dropping that, that inside foot. So as soon as he saw that, he immediately shot his eyes over to the center because he's like, if this guard's pulling, that means I'm getting down blocked. So he knew immediately within a fraction of a second, I'm going to get down blocked, look for it. He shed the center immediately, went over the top of it, just kept running like he was a freaking middle linebacker and chased the play down to the sideline with that incredible speed at 300 pounds. Uh, it, it was insane. It was one of the most instinctual plays I saw from any defensive lineman, pro or college, all of last season. And there was a lot of that on his tape, right? Just him having his eyes exactly where they needed to be, diagnosing plays, just having an advanced understanding, especially for somebody who's only 21 years old and, like you said, was a one-year starter. Yeah, I, it, it, every time I, I bopped in a game of his, I kept thinking to myself, like, how the hell was this dude not starting? Like, no disrespect to any of the defensive linemen at Bama that were ahead of him. They're all in the NFL, and they're all great. I mean, Hand was phenomenal as a rookie for Detroit. But I'm like, how was he not starting on this team? He's that good, where even with all the NFL talent they had in front of him, he was better than all of them. It's insane. Does the one-year thing worry you at all? No, not at all. I, I, If that was the one nitpicky issue that caused somebody to pass on him, they're going to get fired for that. <laughs> want to ask you a little bit more about the nitty-gritty with Quentin Williams because there are people that will say he's not going to provide the level of pass rush that the Jets need if they were to pick him at number three, the same that you could get from an edge rusher. There are people that will say that those moves that he uses on college linemen are not necessarily going to work. You touched on this a little bit, but can you elaborate more on the types of moves that he uses and exactly why you think that they will be successful at the NFL level? Because technique-wise, in terms of how he positions his feet, the timing of his feet linked with his hand, uh, uses that kind of, the uh, not even kind of, the exact same swipe club and, and swipe rip combo that Aaron Donald uses, and Donald has been using it for five years now. It's the exact same move. Like, uh, when I watch Quinnen play, I know that he watches Donald on film because he does everything that Donald does in terms of technique, exactly the same. So I've already seen it work at the pro level. I know it can work. And so I'm not really worried about, you know, can it translate because we already know that it will. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We've seen that he can operate at a level similar to Donald, so him being able to take that same technique that he seems to have perfected already and bring it to the NFL shouldn't be any kind of issue. No, I I have, like, this is one of those no-doubter type picks, um, and for for, for the sake of establishing context, every year there's like a couple no-doubters in every single class. Um, a few years back, it was, you know, Jalen Ramsey and DeForest Buckner were like my no-doubters. Um, you know, Zeke was a no-doubter. Saquon was a no-doubter. Darnold and Baker were both no-doubters to me. This is a no-doubter. 
Like, this is a guy where I will be absolutely stunned beyond belief if he's not a pro bowler within two years. Can you tell me a little bit about his ability to stop the run? Because we all know how great he is at it. But what makes him so special at being able to stop the run? In addition to, as you said, being able to break these double and triple teams and get to the quarterback. How does he diagnose what the running back is doing? And then how does he get into the gaps and stop them on a regular basis? It just seems like he has advanced knowledge of the playbook or something. Well, the instincts for one, yes, but just his leverage at the point of attack is always so good. Uh, He always comes off the ball, even though he's not firing forward and keeping his shoulders down. The the fact that he's when he takes his read step, he drops his hips, so his leverage is always low. Like he's really hard to dig out. I think he kind of learned a little bit from uh, from from Darren Payne when Payne was there, because Payne does the exact same thing. Just in terms of, even though they're both you know, bigger dudes or taller dudes, uh, Payne's leverage was always fantastic. And when I see the same thing from Quinn and I'm like, yeah, that, that looks like a Bama defensive lineman. That looks like a guy that, that was kind of came out of the womb as a five technique. Uh, just somebody who can stack shed, maintain leverage. You just, you're not going to get lower than me. You're not stronger than me. Um, he, he really does do it all. So if you were sitting at number three and let's, for the sake of argument, say, that Kyler Murray goes number one, and somebody trades up and takes Dwayne Haskins at number two, just because I want to create a scenario where the Jets would be in position to pick anybody but the two quarterbacks. Would you pick Quinnen Williams number three, and why? Absolutely. Like I, no disrespect to Bosa, love Bosa. I think he's pretty much a carbon copy of Joey. So you can't really go wrong taking him, especially because you know who doesn't want Joey Bosa on their team, but. There's very few players that I would take over Joey Bosa, and Aaron Donald's one of them. So if I think I'm getting Aaron Donald instead of Joey Bosa, yeah, I'm going to make that pick. As far as Nick Bosa goes versus Quinn and Williams, do you think that there's a legitimate possibility? In fact, would you say there's a strong possibility that despite the fact that Quinn and Williams is an interior lineman and Nick Bosa is an outside rusher, that Quinn and Williams could still have higher sack totals year in, year out? People really underrate interior pressure in terms of what it does to an offense. Even if his sack totals maybe are not the same as an edge rusher, uh, there there will be years that I think he probably does get you know double digit sacks. But in terms of whoever is playing edge rusher on the Jets, if you have a really strong interior pass rush, that's going to help maybe B level exterior pass rushers put up A level statistics. Because if a, if a quarterback can't step up away. Uh, from that edge pressure, it doesn't matter who's coming off the edge. If the quarterback has nowhere to go, whoever's coming off the edge is going to do really well. Uh, you know, Yannick Ngakwe in Jacksonville, he's he's good. He's not elite, but he's good. But they had such great interior pressure that nobody could step up away from him. And the dude's getting sack after sack after sack, so many forced fumbles because nobody could get away. So while maybe Quinnen himself won't put up the stat lines of a Nick Bosa, He's going to help everybody else around him put up those kind of stats instead. And to me, that's more valuable. Which is what you saw on film when he took on the double and triple teams, right? Yeah, I mean, Christian Miller owes Quinnen a lot of money because <laughs> you know, because Christian, I mean, Christian's a good player, but you don't put up double-digit sacks unless quarterbacks can't step up away from you because that's just kind of the rusher Christian is. Like He needs a lot of help to get there, and Quinnen was the kind of guy that could help him, help him get there. Before we started recording, you told me that if a team picked Josh Allen over Quinn and Williams, 
it would be a fireable offense. Can you explain to me why? Again, I like Josh Allen. I think he's a really good player. But you don't, like, this is a classic case of drafting for position instead of drafting for talent. You know, I'm not just going to draft the second best edge rusher in a class because he's an edge rusher. I'm not going to pass on someone who is not not even close to being more talented, but far and away higher on my board in terms of overall grade. Like, I'm not going to pass on that kind of grade differential just because of position. Like, unless the dude's a punter, like, to me, all positions are pretty much equal. <laughs> I'm trying to envision a punter getting picked first overall now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Ray Guy. I don't know. That'd be about the only one that you could even imagine. <laughs> the only one. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Moving on to the best edge rusher in the draft, since you said that Josh Allen could be the second best edge rusher, and you talked about him a little bit, and that's Nick Bosa. Your first observation about him that you talked about when we started recording was that he is very, very similar to his brother, Joey. Can you explain what you mean by that? I mean, athletically, they're damn near identical. Um, you know, maybe one's a little bit more explosive. The other's a little bit more flexible, you know, length might be different by like an inch, but you know, overall they're they're pretty much the same athletic specimen. They use the exact same move set in terms of how they shorten the corner around the edge. Um, when I watch Nick and when I watch Joey, you can pretty much swap jerseys and they're the same damn dude. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. When it comes to Nick and Joey Bosa, you mentioned this a little bit before, but I want to see if you could elaborate on this. One criticism that they've both gotten is that they don't have that quick twitch. They don't have that, as you refer to it, turn the corner speed that somebody like a Von Miller or going back a little bit more, DeMarcus Ware has. That kind of speed that could beat just about anybody. And so they tend to rely on power and technique. Can you talk to me about how that works in practice as opposed to in theory? Yeah, you know, when you're coming around the edge, you're pretty much racing the tackle to a spot, that spot being the corner. Uh, you want to get as much vertical depth as humanly possible to try to race the tackle, get past his hip, so that you can then turn around his hip and get around the corner. Um, because the faster you get to that spot, then the tackle, you know, he might have to kind of turn early. Uh, he's not able to kind of shoot his hands and get proper placement. So you're really, you're racing each other to to where your paths converge. Um, and so when you look at the Bosa brothers, they're not super explosive. So when they get to, you know, when they're in that race to the corner, they're not going to win it, at least on pure explosiveness. And so if you don't win that race, all of a sudden your trajectory around that corner gets a hell of a lot longer. The only way to keep it short is to win the race to that spot. So they have to find other ways to make the corner shorter in terms of quicken their, pay, uh, quicken their path to the quarterback. So now you're using power, you're, you're opening up the tackle's hips by getting into his chest and kind of forcing him backwards uh, towards the quarterback. Uh, you're not letting him ride you around the back of the pocket. You're just going through the back of the pocket. And that's what they're really good at. They're really good at using their hands to accomplish that one goal, which is shortening the corner through power and technique instead of speed because they don't have the speed. Along those lines, I guess you would say he's not going to be somebody like Miles Garrett, right? But he could be a really, really good edge rusher. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I think Joey's really, really good. But I don't think that Joey was on the same planet as Miles as a prospect either. 
Um, you know, I feel like Bradley Chubb and Khalil Mack were both better prospects. Like, you know, just because I, I feel like somebody's a top three prospect doesn't mean that they're on the same level as other top three prospects. doesn't mean they won't be good players, but they might not be generational players. And people, there's been a lot of comments over the years about when I talk about the Bosa brothers and how, you know, not explosive they are. People think that that's an insult to them. It's like, no, it's not an insult. Like, they're really good, but I'm, I'm not going to put them on the same level as a Miles Garrett because Miles has the length, he's got the fluidity, and he has the explosiveness. He's got all five tools. The Bosa brothers might have three. And as you mentioned in your video, and this is an astute observation, and I think it's definitely true. If you go back to that Oklahoma game, it shows you what happens when Nick Bosa goes up against guys that are really good tackles with fundamentals and have long arms. He gets shut down for the most part, but for the most part, you're not going to see a lot of those types of tackles in the NFL. There's only maybe a dozen at most tackles that are anywhere near that good that could be able to shut him down. So you would think that in the NFL, he should be able to win more than he would lose, right? Yeah, and there, there's a tackle shortage in the NFL, and that's how Bowie get, uh, Joe, Joey gets a lot of his production. You know, people rip on me for, for my criticisms of Joey, and be like, well, we got double-digit sacks. And it's like, well, yeah, like two of those sacks came against Denver when they were using a backup guard as a replacement right tackle because of injury. Like, duh, he's going to win. Like, <laughs> you know, that's just how it is sometimes. You're going up against really, really bad right tackles, and you're expected to slaughter them. Joey slaughters them. But if he's going up against a really good right tackle, Lane Johnson, Goster Charles, um, or, you know, Nick, when he was going up against those really big Oklahoma guys uh, with Orlando Brown, and then I uh, can't remember the name of the kid who's coming out this year. He was a right tackle. He played left tackle last year. It was all conference. You know, they, they killed him. They, they, they outreached him. They outmuscled him. So it, it's, it's a very kind of boomer bust sack production with them because when they're going up against a tackle that they should beat, Believe me, they're going to friggin' destroy them. But if they're going up against equal talent, I, I don't really see them beating equal physical talent because they're just kind of not built to do it. So you would say that barring some sort of medical problem, and obviously that's for the doctors to figure out, you would say that Nick, much like Joey, is a very low ceiling but incredibly high floor player, right? Yeah, I, I think his ceiling and his floor are basically the same thing. And that's why I value him so much as a top three pick because, again, I know what I'm getting. I know I'm getting a guy who's going to get me double-digit sacks. Might not get me 15 or 16 sacks in a Defensive Player of the Year award, but I know I'm getting a good player. And I know that if we're going into a week and, and we're going up against a backup right tackle, he's going to get me two sacks and a forced fumble. Like he's, he's that kind of guy where I know what I'm getting, and that's his value. So you would say that if you had to rank everybody on a big board, he would be your number two prospect in this draft after Quinn and Williams? Yeah, probably. But they're but they're so different because Quinn and A, he's got the floor and an exceptionally high ceiling mm -hmm. where Joey only has one of those. But um, I think having a very high like Pro Bowl caliber floor is important for a top five pick. So that's why I have both of them up there. Yeah, there's something to be said about picking a guy that, as you said in your video, is more or less bust-proof, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it, top five picks are very, very uh, high-value assets, and you can't afford to be blowing them on players that are risks. Certainly doesn't seem the Jets would be doing that if they were to pick Nick Bosa 
or Quinn and Williams, both of whom have extremely high floors, as you talked about, Brett. And we will talk more about players that have high ceilings, high floors, low ceilings, and low floors tomorrow in part two of our discussion, including a ton of chatter about what the Jets could do in a possible trade-down scenario, specifically with the Giants, if the Giants wanted to trade up for a specific quarterback. That's tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you follow Brett on Twitter. He's at Brett Coleman, K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. And watch his videos. They're fantastic. You can search for them on YouTube. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.